Greetings, brethren. Welcome to Sabbath services, the Sabbath during unleavened bread. Why do we keep sinning after we're baptized? How does that happen? Well, first of all, we need to understand our human nature. And we need to understand that our human nature is directly passed down to us, beginning with Adam and Eve. When they sin and went against God directly in the face of God and believed Satan the devil and God's judgment was given upon Satan and upon the woman and upon the man. And God's judgment included a change of human nature. That human nature now, after their sin, and that time forward through all the rest of the history of mankind, was not neutral. But it had what we'll see a little later, the law of sin and death within. But through Jesus Christ, we can overcome that and we can yield to God so that we're not taken down by all the things that come along in the world. So let's come to the epistle of 1 John, and let's see some things that will be very helpful and very interesting and help us to understand what we need to do. Because during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we realize that the whole process of living is that we put out our thoughts, our ways, and replace them with God's. That's why we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We put out all the leaven because during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, leaven is a type of sin. And it works unseen because it's within and we will see that, see? Before we get to, to 1 John, let's come to Mark 7, and let's see what Jesus said about human nature. Let's see what he said, where it comes from, and from within, and this is why there has to be conversion, and this is why there has to be the Holy Spirit of God, and this is why, then, we need to yield to God and not to our own natures. Now, human beings like to try and do good, and human beings like to think that everything that they do is good. And this is particularly true with the various religions in the world. They try and have something so people can be better. But it never changes the inside. And the only way there can be changes inside 
is through repentance and baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, all the good that we do comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And every religion thinks that they have the good that's going to help people be better. And that's what happened with Judaism. Okay? However, here's the whole crux of the matter. We must do everything God's way and not our way. So here's what he said when they had the question concerning hand-washing and so forth before eating. And the Pharisees came and said, Well, look at your disciples. They don't wash their hands before eating. So Jesus answered and said, Verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy concerning you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, and that's the way that people are. They like to give God a little honor, but then do everything their own way. So he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Why? Because they're not truly seeking God. Seek God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your being. Now, that's for all of us who are converted, correct? But we still have to fight and overcome sin because sin is still within. Okay? So he says this, verse 7. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. For leaving the commandments of God, you hold fast the traditions of men, such as the washing of pots and cups, and you practice many other things like this. And he said to them, Full well do you reject the commandment of God so that you may practice or observe your own tradition. That's the whole key to everyone. Every man's way is right in his own eyes. Now we'll see that back here in Proverbs 16. And so this this helps us to understand what we need to do. See? Proverbs 16. And this is the thing. With the law of sin and death within us, we think we are right. And what we do is good. And then we end up to in the extreme of calling evil good and good evil. See, Now that's why we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we can always understand God's way versus human way. Proverbs 16 and verse 2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. However, there's something else going on that people don't know anything about. Now, we know it because we have the Spirit of God, which is this, 
but the Lord weighs the spirits. Okay? Now here is one of the steps to overcoming the sin within. Commit your works unto the Lord, and your thoughts shall be established, and that's what we need to do. Okay? Right there. So let's come back here now to 1 John. Now we're going to see something interesting because when John wrote this, he was probably in his late 80s or early 90s, and he lived the longest of any of the apostles. So what he has to say is important. Now will you see you will see over here in 1 John 2 and let's pick it up with verse 12. Okay? He says, "I'm writing to you." Okay? First person, "I am writing to you." Verse 13, "I'm writing to you fathers." Verse 14, "I wrote to you fathers." I wrote to you, young men, middle of verse 14. Okay. Then he gives this. One of the first things we need to understand is that this world doesn't belong to God. It belongs to Satan, the devil, and he's the God of this world. So then he gives this warning. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because everything that is in the world, and we have to fight it today. Look at how much the world invades our life on a daily basis through our smartphones, through our televisions, through our music, through our reading. Okay? And that adds to the problem of our overcoming and leads us to do things that are sinful that we don't want to do. And we will see that's the conundrum. Do not love the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because everything that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, physical life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And always remember this, verse 17, and the world is passing away. But, here's the key, The one who does the will of God abides forever. So there's the problem. Okay? Now let's look at something else that he said here in chapter 1. Because chapter 1 is interesting, and it looks like, and it's probably so, that chapter 1 was added to what was originally the first epistle of John. Because he doesn't say, I. He says, we. And who are the we? 
Well, when the Bible was being canonized, there was John, there was Andrew, there was Philip, there was Mark, there was Timothy. And so they're the ones who put together and canonized the whole New Testament. So here's what he writes in 1 John, the first chapter. Now notice what he says. Notice the we. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our own eyes, that which we observe for ourselves, and our own hands handled concerning the word of life. For the life was manifested. Now he's talking about Jesus Christ. And we have seen and are bearing witness and reporting to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now that's to the apostles. That which we have seen and heard we're reporting to you in order that you, every one of us, every single one who is the baptized child of God, also called a saint. Okay? Because saint means you've been made holy, and that is by the Holy Spirit of God. All right. We are reporting to you that you may have fellowship with us, for the fellowship, indeed our fellowship, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay. Now that's important to realize. Every time we study the Bible, we're studying the Word of God. And we'll see that how important that is in overcoming the sin within, okay? And it really is, okay? Now he goes on here and he says, these things we are also writing to you that your joy may be completely full. And then he wants us to understand something very important in his next few verses. Because... This tells us how we start to overcome the sin within. And this is the most important thing to overcome. Okay. Verse 5. And this is the message that we heard from him and are declaring to you that God is light and there is no darkness at all in him. If we proclaim we have fellowship with him, but we are walking in darkness. Now, what does walking in darkness mean? Walking in darkness means you're going the way of the world. You are not using the light of the Spirit of God and the Word of God to govern what you are doing. And if you become very slack and, and lay off and things come upon you, and sin comes upon you, and it does. And we'll see what we have to do when that takes place, okay? But if you're neglecting God, okay, 
Now notice walking in darkness, we are lying to ourselves. Now notice, he's including himself. Very interesting. Now think about this. All the years that he was an apostle. And he's saying that if we're not walking in the light, we're walking in darkness. We. So he's including himself there. Now notice, if you're walking in darkness, now follow along with what else he says here. And we are not practicing the truth. Now, circle the word practicing because we'll see that's important later on. Okay. However, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, all of us together, and fellowship with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his own son, cleanses us from all sin. That's why Jesus Christ's sacrifice is so important. Because he was the creator of all human beings. Okay, let's go forward here. If we say we do not have sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now here is the key. Now notice, John must have been way up in his 80s at this time when he wrote this. And he says this, if we himself. Now, how long had he been an apostle? Well, since 30 AD. So we're looking at over 50 years, maybe 60 years, he being an apostle, and he includes himself, which tells us that even as old as he was and as long as he had been an apostle, that he understood that human nature must still be overcome because it's still within us. And we will see how Paul labels that a little bit later. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Now, what is the first thing that Jesus talked about talked about in praying to the Father. He said we are to say, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. That's our whole purpose. Your will be done. That's God's whole purpose with us. On earth, and that means in our lives and what we're doing, as in heaven. Okay. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay. That's true. That's true. Now, let's come to 1 John, the fifth chapter. All right, let's pick it up here in verse 13. 
1 John 5 and verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now notice verse 14. And this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What is one of the most important things of the will of God? That we ask forgiveness for our sins. We confess our sins to him. That is putting out the leaven. Every time we confess our sins to God and ask for forgiveness, that is putting out the leaven of sin. Like Paul wrote, we're not to keep the feast of unleavened bread with the leaven of sin and malice but with the unleavened bread of truth and sincerity. It's the same thing he's writing here in different words. Verse 15, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we may ask according to his will, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now notice verse 16, what it says. Because this shows that we all have sin to overcome. And the Bible and the writings of the apostles give us all the instruction on how to overcome. Now that's a tremendous miracle. That we can have that and we can know that and we can understand that. Now, verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin that is not unto death, now what is a sin that is not unto death? It is any sin that is not the unpardonable sin. It is any sin that is not the unpardonable sin. Now, you can see that in yourself, and we can see that in our daily living, and we can see the things and understand those things that are not of God, and we can get rid of them. We can repent of them. We can ask God to cleanse our minds. So likewise, if you see a brother sinning, Okay, that's not a sin unto death. Notice, he shall ask and he shall give him life for those who do not sin unto death. Okay, now we'll see what that is. There is a sin unto death concerning that sin. I do not say that he should make any supplication to God. All unrighteousness is sin, 
and there is a sin not unto death. Okay. Now let's see what we have here. Okay. We know that anyone who is begotten by God, verse 18, begotten, see, that shows exactly what Peter wrote. Okay. So let's hold our place here and turn to 1 Peter, the first chapter. Now we know this. We know that in order for us to be brought into the world, we had to be begotten in our mother's womb by our father. Okay? Every single one of us. Now then, when we repent and receive the Holy Spirit of God, we know that we have been begotten again. And that's what Peter writes here. Verse 3 First Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, receiving the Holy Spirit of God as the begettle from God. And it is also the circumcision of the heart. Now, the circumcision of the heart means this. God takes away the hostility that we have in our hearts to God. He doesn't take away our choice. He doesn't take away our ability to sin if we sin. Nor does he take away our ability to come to him. He gives it to us that we can come to him. Now, that's what it means to be begotten again. Now, that's in the spirit of our minds. And we find that explained in John, the 14th chapter, that if we love God, we'll keep his commandments, and the Father and the Son will come and make their abode within us. That's the fellowship with God. So all of this ties together. An amazing thing indeed when we understand it. Has begotten us again according to his abundant mercy, okay, unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there in that one verse, he explains everything about the fundamental basis for Christianity. Right there, in that one verse. All right? Back to 1 John 5. Now, here's the key. And we'll see it again right here in 1 John. Okay. Once we are baptized and received the Holy Spirit, we have received the circumcision of the heart. We have received the Holy Spirit of God. That is not a complete spiritual transformation into a spirit being. That comes at the resurrection. But it is so that we can understand the truth and with God's spirit live by it. We can see what sin is and reject it and not 
keep on doing it. Okay? That's the sin that is not unto death. Now here's why. Verse 18. We know that anyone who is begotten by God does not practice sin. For the one who has been begotten by God keeps himself by the power of God, and the wicked one does not touch him, that is, to take him away from God. Now, that can happen if some people go against God in extreme manner. Okay. Now then, let's go to chapter 3. And this becomes important. This also tells us exactly the difference. We don't practice sin. Now, we will see that practicing sin means we live in sin. And we are not to do that. When we sin, we're to confess our sins, as it says in chapter 2, and he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. There we go. See? Now, let's read it here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Everyone who practices sin is practicing lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. And the King James says that sin is the transgression of the law. But lawlessness means anything of God's way that you transgress. See? For sin is lawlessness, and you know that he appeared in order that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Everyone who dwells in him does not practice sin. Anyone who is practicing sin has not seen him, nor has known him. See? There it is. Practicing sin. That's what it means in the Greek. Little children, do not allow anyone to deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Because this devil has been sinning from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. Everyone, verse 9, chapter 3, 1 John, who has been begotten by God does not practice sin. Now notice, it doesn't say he doesn't sin. But he doesn't practice it. He doesn't live by it. Because he's practicing the truth. And the sins we are overcoming are the sins within, and that's the most important thing that we need to deal with in relationship to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Read that again. Everyone who has been begotten by God, that means you've repented, you received the Holy Spirit of God, you're walking in the truth, you're keeping his commandments. Okay? But you do sin. But you don't practice sin. 
okay, does not practice sin because the seed of begettal is dwelling within him. The seed of begettal of the Father. You have been begotten again. Okay. And he is not able to practice sin because he has been begotten by God. Now, you're not able to practice it. Why? Because the Spirit of God within you will bring to your attention that you are sinning. Now, before you were converted, you were sinning, and you didn't know anything about God's way and forgiveness and repentance and baptism and receiving of the Holy Spirit, did you? No. You were living in and practicing sin, and everything that you were doing was sin. Now, let's come to Romans, the fifth chapter. Let's see about this the way that Paul wrote. And let's read it here in verse 12, because this is what happened when God gave his judgment against Adam and Eve, and this sinful nature was passed down to all human beings. You can even see it in newborn babies. Okay? And every one of us have to be taught right from wrong, truth from lies, righteousness from sinfulness, all of this. And it is the commandments of God that we need. And we will see where we need them. And we will see why we need it within us so that we won't commit the unpardonable sin. But rather, every sin that we do commit, we repent of because we're getting rid of the leaven on a continuous basis within our life all the year long. Okay? Now, Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, it's been by one man sin entered into the world. That's Adam. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped Eve, but he didn't. Okay? And by means of sin came death. The wages of sin is death. And the wages of sin is practicing evil and practicing unrighteousness. And in this way, death passed into all mankind. Every single human being has the law of what Paul calls, in chapter 7, we'll see that in a little bit, the law of sin and death. And how does that work in us? And how do we overcome that? Okay? That's all a part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Let's come to chapter 6. Now, the rest of it here, Paul talks about having our sins forgiven and that we're not to live in sin. And that ties in with what John wrote, that everyone who has been begotten by God does not practice sin. Now, we have our sins forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is 
through the grace of God and the goodness of God. And once we have the Spirit of God, we now have direct access to God the Father and Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to know that. I want you to understand that, how great that is, that each one of us who have the Spirit of God have direct contact with God the Father, and that's his sacred name, our Father who is in heaven. Now think about that. And Jesus Christ at his right hand, who is there as our high priest, who is there as our sacrifice, who is there to bring forgiveness and remission of sins. Okay? Now then, since Christ died for the sins of the whole world, and we know with the rest of the feast of God, past, present, and future. And once we answer the call and have received the Holy Spirit, which is the circumcision of the heart, as I have mentioned. Okay. Then, let's come to Romans, the sixth chapter. Because you see, Protestantism has it all wrong. They have it, you ask Jesus to come into your heart. No, no, no. He's not going to obey anyone. You come to God and confess your sins to God, and you come to him in full repentance and baptism, and then you receive the Holy Spirit when God gives it. You don't come and tell Christ to come into your heart, because without true repentance and true baptism, that is a counterfeit. And the world doesn't understand that. So chapter 6, Paul writes this. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And that's exactly what Protestantism says. Once you accept Jesus into your, into your life, then... You don't have to worry about what you do because you can't sin. Even though you go back living the way that you were living. That is a satanic lie preached in the name of Jesus Christ. So here is the truth. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2 May it never be. Not at all. Now listen carefully. Because when we went into that watery grave, that was our pledge of our death if we are not faithful to the end. Because the first part of the new covenant is the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The second part of the new covenant is our part, and we signify our death by full 
baptism immersed completely in water. And that's the closest that you can come to death and yet be raised out of there to live a new life. That's what it's all about. But let's understand the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So he says, we who died to sin. Now that means we put away, we died to living in sin. We have forsaken that way of life. How shall we live any longer therein? How is that possible? Or are you ignorant that we, as so he includes himself, just like the apostle John did? Or are you ignorant that we, as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Now we will see what that really means in the next couple of verses, because this is profound. Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism into the death. That is the death of Christ and the death that we pledge because we pledge with this baptism, we will be faithful all the rest of our lives. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in the same way, we also should walk in newness of life. And that's what John was writing about in First John, that we live a life that is practicing righteousness, and we are not practicing sin. See? We're living according to the commandments of God. That's why John wrote, and hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And the one who doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Same thing. Same thing that Paul is writing here in a little bit different words. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father in the same way, we also should walk in newness of life. That's keeping the commandments of God. Walking with the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us having the fellowship with God that we need, which is through prayer and through study continually, and to overcome the sin within. Let's continue on. Verse 5, For if we have been conjoined together in the likeness of his death, now think about that, conjoined, that means Almost like saying, God has taken your body when you repent before baptism and laid your body right on the body of Jesus Christ with all the stripes, with all the gashes, with all the blood for the forgiveness of your sins. See how important that is? Conjoined, become part of the very death of Jesus Christ for your pledge of future death. And that when you come out of this watery grave, 
You walk in newness of life. You don't walk in the way that you've been going. For if we've been conjoined together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So there is the goal. Eternal life. But getting from where we are, from the point of baptism, to where we're going to be at the point of the return of Christ and the resurrection from the dead is how we live and how we overcome. Verse 6, knowing this, that the old man was co-crucified with him. Co-crucified. in order that the body of sin might be destroyed. So this tells us that the rest of our lives in overcoming and growing in grace and knowledge is destroying the sin within. Might be destroyed so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Because the one who has died in the watery grave has been justified from sin. That is, all your past sins are forgiven. Now then, we have given to us an open door that when we sin and we come to God and we confess our sins, like John wrote, we have forgiveness of sin. Now that the world does not have. We have. Now if we die together with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has any dominion over him. And that he died, he died unto sin once for all. All time, all people, past, present, and future. But, they have not been granted the blessing of repenting of their sins because this world is still ruled by Satan, the devil, who is the prince of the power of the air and the dark ruler of this world. And with his spiritual power, he blinds the minds of those who don't believe. Okay, so think about what a tremendous thing it is that God has done for us. Okay, let's go ahead and take a break and we'll come back and we'll continue how to overcome the sin within. Now let's continue on 
how to overcome the sin within. Now we have a complete series on that with the CD and the transcript, how to overcome the sin within. And that's the key to conversion and overcoming and growing in grace and knowledge. Now back here to Romans, the sixth chapter. Now let's repeat again. Verse 10, Romans 6. For when he died, he died unto sin once for all. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. In the same way also you should indeed reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? Therefore, do not let sin rule in your mortal body by obeying it in the lust thereof. Now, this tells us something very important. When we get a temptation, which we all do, when something of sin enters into our mind, which it does all the time, we are not to be obeying it in the lust thereof. Because a lot of these things are coming from the world through the way that the world does that, and coming from Satan the devil, and coming from other people, all of those combined. Okay. So we're not to let it rule. It doesn't say we won't sin. Okay. Hold your place here. Let's come to Hebrews 12, and we'll come back. Hebrews 12. Because this tells us that every day we're confronted with sin, and what do we do, and how do we overcome, and how does God look at it that way? Huh? That's why. Remember, remember, remember the prayer that Jesus gave in Matthew 6. It starts out, as I gave earlier, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts, which then is our debt to God because of sin. So we repent of these things every single day because we're living in an evil world. And that's how we don't let sin rule in our lives. Verse 2. Here's how. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Having our minds fixed on Jesus, the beginner and finisher of our faith. See? That's the central point of our thoughts. Jesus and God the Father. who for the joy that lay ahead of him endured the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Although he despised the shame and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. 
Now meditate deeply on him who endured such great hostilities of sinners against him, so that you do not become weary and faint in your minds. The sin within. See? Remember that. Verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of losing blood in your struggle against sin. Okay? And have you already forgotten the admonition that he addresses to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor grow weary of being reproved by him, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and severely disciplines every son whom he receives. So we receive this from God. Why? Why go through this? Well, verse 1 tells us. Okay. Therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entraps us. That's the sin within. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 6. We'll be there in a minute again. Okay. And let us run the race that is set before us with endurance. See? Okay. Back to Romans 6. Amazing what God has given us and how he works with us. And he wants us to be in the kingdom. And he wants us to be his glorified sons and daughters to live forever. That's the whole goal, brethren. All right. Back here to Romans, the sixth chapter. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin rule in your mortal body by obeying it in the lust thereof. Likewise, do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So it shows don't yield to it. In other words, when sin comes or temptation comes, expel it. Get rid of it. Ask God to blot it out. Okay? Yield yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now then, when you do that, you can overcome the sin within because it says here in verse 14, for sin shall not rule over you. You, with the Spirit of God, rule over sin and repent of it and expel it out of your life. Okay? Sin shall not rule over you because you're not under law. That is the penalty of the law because of sin. But under grace, that is, you have the Holy Spirit of God and contact with God, and you can repent of those things, and you do not live a life of practicing sin. Okay? 
So he goes on to say here, continuing, because this is important, and then we will come to chapter 7, one of the most difficult chapters in the entire New Testament. Okay? Verse 15, Romans 6. What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Now we're going to see we have to be within law. Not under. Within law, spiritually, to keep it in the spirit of the law. That's the key. Let's go on. So he says, may it never be that you continue in sin that grace may abound. Never. Verse 16. Don't you realize that to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, you yield to it. See, First step, don't yield to the temptation. Don't yield to the sin. And if you do, repent so that you're not practicing sin. Don't you realize that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, you are servants to the one you obey, whether it is of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Obedience unto righteousness. It says in Psalm 119 and verse 172, all your commandments are righteousness. And you yield yourself to the spirit of God, which is the spirit of truth and the spirit of righteousness, not to the spirit of sin. Okay. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Okay? And that is to keep the commandments of God, to keep the word of God, to walk in his way. Okay? Verse 18, And having been delivered from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. What does God want? What is the truth? How do I live? What are the circumstances that I'm in? How do I repent of sin? How do I... Keep from being tempted. What is my mind on? See, because our minds are always working all the time. And what is it that we are thinking on? All right. And having been delivered from sin through baptism, through coming out of this world, God delivered you from sin. For what? You became the servants of righteousness. See? All right there. This tells us about obedience to God. Verse 19, I speak from a human point of view because of the weakness of your flesh. 
For just as you once yielded to your members in bondage to uncleanness and to lawlessness, unto lawlessness, so now yield your members in bondage to righteousness, unto sanctification. Righteousness brings you to holiness, and holiness means that you are sanctified. Okay? Sanctification. Having the Holy Spirit of God. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. No, you were breaking the laws of God. You were obeying your own human nature, your own law of sin and death, as we will see. And you didn't even know that you had the law of sin and death. And you didn't even know that you were yielding to sin in all of these things. Huh? Isn't that the way it is? Well, we're to come out from all of that. Verse 21, therefore, what fruit did you have in those things which you are now ashamed? For the end result of those things is death. Isn't that true? Yes, indeed. Look at it in the world today. How many people are going down the path to sin? And everything they think that is right is not right because they're not looking at the problem. And the problem, the main problem is people have left God. People have forgotten God. People have no morals. They have no standards. They are lawless. And that's the world that we have to live in and not be taken down by it. But now you have been delivered from sin and have become servants of God. Huh. Not servants of Satan the devil, but of God. See? So in a sense, that's what God has done with us. He's taken away our sins, getting rid of all of the leaven and put his Holy Spirit in us, which is putting in the unleavenedness of Christ and the truth of God's Spirit and the righteousness of God's Word. Okay? You became servants of God, and you have your fruit unto sanctification, and the end result is eternal life. Now, that's what God wants. That's why we're here. That's why the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now then, we come to chapter 7. Quite an important chapter for us to really learn and know the way of God and what we need to do, okay? So let's look at it this way. Here's the world, everything of the world, all of the lust, all of the sin, all of the things that look good in the world. Here is the way of God. The laws of God, the commandments of God, the truth of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, okay? Those are the two things that we need to understand. Now then, when we're under law without God, 
And that law works automatically. That's why all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why? Because they're all living in sin. And that's why we're going through what we're going through right now, so we can understand that getting rid of the sin by transgression, God forgives, and now he wants to build something within us, within our minds, and we have to overcome the sin within. Verse 1, are you ignorant, brethren, and I'm speaking to those who know law, that is to the Jews, they know law, that the law rules over a man for as long a time as he may live. That is true. Now, who rules over us now? God. See? God. with his love and his truth and his mercy. The world is cut off from that. They're under law. Sin runs. Sin rules. Satan is king. The demons are the princes of this world. Okay. Now, verse 2. Now he's talking about marriage because he wants to explain something that is very important, which is the covenant of Israel was like a marriage. And those Jews who were under that first covenant have to understand that the death of Jesus Christ now makes it possible for them to not be bound to that marriage situation of the covenant with God under the old covenant, and that's because Christ, God manifested in the flesh, died. Now, how long is a marriage covenant good for? Until death of one of the parties, the husband or the wife, correct? Christ was the husband of Israel. Christ died, and that terminated the old covenant. And this is what we're seeing that it, Paul explaining here, so that those Jews could come to Christ. All right? So he explains, for a woman who has, is married is bound by the law to the husband as long as he is living. But if the husband should die, she is released from the law that bound her to her husband. Now, that's the truth of the matter. See? Protestants come here and say, see, you're relieved from the law altogether. No. Only the covenantal bound law of the old covenant marriage. When Christ died, that ended the efficacy of the covenant that God made with Israel because he died. Whenever there's a covenant, both parties must pledge their death, just like in a marriage. You be faithful unto death. 
do we part? Okay? So she's not bound to her husband. So then if she should marry another man, as long as the husband is living, she should be called an adulteress. But if the husband should die, she is free from the law that are bound her to her husband so that she is no longer an adulteress if she's married to another because the church is to be married, what? To Christ, right? In the same way, brethren, you also were made dead to the marriage law of the old covenant, and that's what he's talking about. You are not dead to the law, that is, all the laws of God, so that you can break them with impunity and not have to keep them. Okay? By the body of Christ, in order for you to be married to another. Huh. Who was raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit to God? So, when we are baptized, receive the Holy Spirit of God, begotten again, we are betrothed, as Paul said, to Christ. And the marriage supper and the marriage is going to take place at the resurrection. But Christ is the head of the church, the husband, the covenant, all together. Okay? Verse 5. For as long as we were in the flesh, the passions of the of sin, of sins, okay, which were through the law, were working within us, our own members, to bring forth fruit unto death. See? But now we have been released from the law, that is, the covenant law of marriage of the old covenant haven't been released from keeping the laws of God at all, okay? Because we have died, so it's a mutual death with us. We die in the watery grave of baptism, see? That in which we were held so that we might serve in newness of spirit. There it is right there. We are to serve the law of God in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of letter. Okay? Newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? May it never be. Now, we come to the point of the whole thing, understanding what it means concerning the laws of God, what they really are and why we need the Spirit of God to do it, and why we need the help of God to do so, and why we need every day that ability to come to God and to ask for forgiveness for our sins. And those are the sins within. And this is what Paul is going to bring out now, one of the most difficult things in the whole New Testament. When I first read this, I wondered, 
Was Paul really converted? <laughs> of course he was. But he had the same struggle to overcome sin that we do. He had the same temptations or greater than we do. See? So now that we're to serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter, what shall we say? Is the law sin? May it never be. But I had not known sin except through the law. Furthermore, I would not have been conscious of lust except the law said, you shall not covet. Now, before God called us, revealed his truth, and we were baptized, received the Holy Spirit, were we conscious of lust? No. We enjoyed it. We practiced it. We lived in it. Everything that we did was based upon self and sin and lust and all of this. And that brings all the problems that are in the world. Okay? So we need to understand that. So he says, but sin. What is sin? Lawlessness. What is sin? Transgression of the law. But sin, having grabbed an opportunity by the commandment, in other words, whenever you break a commandment, you are sinning. Okay, worked out within me every kind of lust within, the sin within, because apart from law, sin was dead. See, but the law tells us what sin is. But we didn't pay attention to it in the spirit. Now he's talking about the spirit of the law. And here's what he says. For I was once without law. That is a true understanding of the laws of God. He was following all the traditions of the laws of Judaism. And he was persecuting the church and putting them in prison. And even seeing the death of some of them who were following Christ Jesus. He was without law because he didn't understand it in his mind that there is sin and that there is within us the law of sin and death. Okay? But after the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, there comes a time in our life with God's spirit and God's word and God's law. We understand what sin is and we understand it's within us and we understand that the wages of sin is death. And the whole goal of everything with God is to perfect us through overcoming sin, through overcoming lust, through overcoming temptation and replacing that with the love of God, the truth of God, the obedience to the commandments of God. That's what it's all about. Okay. Now, continuing, Romans 7, verse 10. And the commandment which was meant to be to result in life, I found to be unto death. See? Because that's true. 
You can keep it in the letter of the law and have lots of lust in your mind, but you're keeping the law in the letter, and you're not addressing the real source of the sin, which is the sin within. Because sin, having taken opportunity by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. See? That's how he's explaining it. That's the repentance. That's the conversion. Therefore, the law is indeed holy, not sin, and the commandment holy, all the commandments of God, and righteous and good. So here is the conundrum right here. Verse 13. Now then, did that which is good become death to me? May it never be. It is sin that brought death. And sin is the transgression of the law. The law didn't bring it. That's the penalty for breaking it. But sin in order that it might truly be exposed to sin in me. Ha! The sin within. By that which is good was working out death so that by means of the commandment sin might become exceedingly sinful. We understand the depths of sin with God's Spirit. See? All right? You can't know it otherwise. See? Now it becomes a spiritual thing. Now we're not stopping sin outwardly that we're doing because we've quit that a long time ago. And we're not involved in it. But we're fighting the battle of the sin within so that God can put the righteousness within us and the truth within us and God's way within us, okay? So he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, having been sold as a slave under sin, because what I was working out myself, his own way, what he was doing without God, see, I do not know. He doesn't understand what I look back on it now. Why did I live that way? For what I did not desire to do, this I do. Moreover, what I hate, this I do. Okay? Now he's discovering the law of sin and death within him that brings him with his thoughts to do things that aren't right. So he says, but I'm doing what I do not desire to do. I agree with the law that it is good because the law says don't do it. See? So then, I'm no longer working it out myself. Rather, it is sin that is dwelling within me. That's the sin within because I fully understand that there is not dwelling within me that is within my fleshly being any good 
for the desire to do good is present within me. And all human beings desire to do good, but they don't do it. But how to work out that which is good, I find not. No, it's not a resource you have of your own. It must come from God. And it must come from his word. And it must come from his spirit. Okay? Now verse 20. But if I do what I do not desire to do, I am no longer working it out myself, but sin that is dwelling within me. Consequently, I find this law in my members. Okay? That when I desire to do good, evil is present with me. Because as long as we're in the flesh, see, because when we receive the Holy Spirit of God after baptism, that is a circumcision. That gets rid of the hostility to God. Now, the rest of it is with God replacing all the sin within and all of our thoughts with his Holy Spirit and with his laws and with his commandments and with his truth and with his love and with his grace and with his mercy to build in us the character so that with God's Spirit we see the sin within so we can overcome and we can repent. It says, I delight in the law of God according to the inner man. Yes, indeed. We do. But I see another law within my members warring against the law of my mind and leading me to the law of sin within my own members. Oh, what a wretched man I am! Who shall save me from the body of this death? See? Without God and the Spirit of God, no one can overcome the law of sin and death. No one. That's why all the good that men want to do always ends up in disaster. That's the way it is down through history. Okay? So he says, who's going to deliver me? I thank God for his salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, Because of this, on the one hand, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but on the other hand, with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. Now, where does this put us? Okay? What are we to do? Let's take a few verses here in chapter 8, because this is important. So what what happens when you find yourself Sinning within. Okay. All right. Here it is. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Consequently, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're walking according to the Spirit, with the Spirit of God within us. And our minds are on the things of God. And it's that sin within that pulls against us. And there is no condemnation. 
as long as we repent, as long as we yield to God, okay? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has delivered me from the law of sin and death. And he will deliver us every day, every day, everything that we do. That's why it says in 1 John, you can't practice sin because the Spirit of God is going to lead you to repentance. Okay? Deliver us from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the law to do. See, the law can't do anything, can't make you do anything, but the Spirit of God can. It can lead you, it can perform miracles in your life. See, indebted it was weak through the flesh, God having sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now then, let's see how this works. Come to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. This is important because it shows us how we overcome the sin within in a tremendous way. And we do this all the time, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Okay? Second Corinthians 10, because that is the spiritual warfare within us. To overcome the sin within, how? With the Spirit of God. So he defines it even more. He also calls it a warfare. So let's pick it up here in verse 2. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 2. But I'm beseeching you so that when I am present, I may not have to be bold with the confidence with which I intend to show boldness toward you who think that we are walking according to the flesh. We're not. See? For although we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. No amount of psychology, no amount of of human improvement without repentance and coming to God will ever work. Only the warfare that God gives us with the spirit of the truth, which is the sword of God. For our weapons are of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, because it takes the spirit of God, see, but mighty through God to the overthrowing of strongholds. What are those strongholds? What are those things in our minds? Okay, that's why you need to send for this series, How to Overcome the Sin Within. There are 12 messages that I cover. Okay, now here's the way it is. Verse 5, casting down vain imaginations. Anything that comes into our minds contrary to the word of God, cast it down, get rid of it. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God 
and bringing, listen to this, and bringing into captivity or control every thought into the obedience of Christ. That's how we overcome, see? And having a readiness to avenge all disobedience. Whatever your obedience has been fulfilled. Okay? Now, let's come to Colossians, the third chapter. And let's see what Paul says we need to do. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested because he's coming. His return is going to be. Then you also shall be manifested with him in glory. That's the whole goal. That's why we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's why we put out the leaven, put out the sin, put out the human way of doing things, the fleshly ways of men and women, and put in the Spirit of God. Okay? So he says, here's what we're to do, as he wrote back there in 2 Corinthians 10. Our warfare is spiritual. Okay? Therefore, put to death the mem- your members which are on the earth, sexual immorality, uncleanness, inordinate affection and desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Those are all the things in the mind. And we bring all of those things out and get rid of them and repent of them and bring in the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, among whom you also walked when you were living in these things. And you didn't know anything. But now, since we're in Christ, you should put off all these things, wrath, indignation, malice, blasphemy, and foul language from your mouth. Isn't that something? All the sins within. So that's what he's talking about. Here's how we overcome. Here's how we put into practice 2 Corinthians 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old man together with his deeds, and have put on the new man. Be renewed day by day. Be renewed with the Spirit of God. Be renewed with the Word of God. Be renewed with your conduct with God. Verse 10, But put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's Christ. See, Renewed every day. That's why prayer. That's why study. That's why living. That's why thinking, that's why meditating, you know, would do a lot of good for a lot of people. Turn off the cell phone. Turn off the television. Study the Word of God. Think on the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. That's how you overcome the sin within. Okay. Then he says, verse 12, put on then, 
as the elect of God, holy and beloved. You're the begotten children of the Father, all of us together, waiting for the resurrection, waiting for the return of Christ. Holy and beloved, deep inner affection, showing change of heart, change of mind, change of the way you do things, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. Yes, walk in the unity and love of the Spirit, not in the carnality and politics of men. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you should also forgive. And above all things, here's the goal of it all. Verse 14, above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. That's what it's all about. And the final perfection is the resurrection from the dead. Okay? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that comes through study and prayer and living God's way in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart. And in everything, think of that now, everything, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So that's how you overcome the sin within. And we all have that battle. And that's the whole real meaning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Get out the evil, get out the flesh, get out the humanism, and put in God's way, God's truth, God's spirit, his word, and let that rule in our lives and let us think in that way and walk in that way and be in that way. So continue to have a great feast of unleavened bread. And we'll see you on the last day, the seventh day of the feast of unleavened bread.